I'm Avery Smith of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. away from giving birth to the Christmas season, I want to share some of my reflections on the queerness of the nativity story, interspersed with poems I've written across the past few years. If you grew up anywhere saturated in Christian culture, you likely know the story of how an angel came to Mary to share God's plan to be born into humanity through her how she and her husband Joseph had to journey to his hometown Bethlehem, and upon arriving with Mary's water newly broken, they could find no inn that would take them, but only a stable, how poor shepherds and wealthy wise men alike journeyed to witness the newborn king with an angel song reverberating across the stars above. So, you may well ask, what's queer about all of that? Well... It turns out that the nativity story is full to bursting with binaries broken, assumptions flipped on their head, and the uplifting of persons the world calls unworthy. But before we dive in, take a moment to learn about another one of the amazing podcasts that is with me on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. Hey Sugar, I'm Erica Michelle. I host a voice diary called Brown Sugar Diaries on the Rock Candy Network, where I spill all the tea about my daily experiences, life lessons, my journey to healing and wholeness, my life as an entrepreneur, student doctor, CEO of a nonprofit, and I give my opinion on the current happenings of the world. You see why I have this voice diary? I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Tune into Brown Sugar Diaries wherever you listen to podcasts and let's sip on this tea or wine. Your cup, your business, sugar, okay? For the first reversal of assumptions I'll be exploring today, let's start with the sweeping revolution that Mary foretells. A revolution that knocks down the borders that humans have built between rich and poor, strong and powerless. Not long into her pregnancy, as told in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, Mary sings her famous Magnificat, a praise song for the God who saw her, a young girl who amounted to very little in the eyes of the world. She, like the prophets of her people's past, delights in the God who flips human expectations on their heads about who matters most. Mary's Magnificat looks forward to a future wherein the low are raised up and the mighty cast down, the hungry filled up and the rich sent away empty. Trans persons likewise look forward to a future where the binaries that pit the powerful versus the powerless crumble away, and when those whom the world scorns as worthless are shown to be infinitely valued by our diversity-loving God. 
Here's a poem I wrote some years ago on this already and not yet Advent revolution. If you are content now, you will be devastated then. For when the world is flipped upside down, all your riches will go spilling into space. A voice cries out in the wilderness, cries out, prepare the way, prepare for what? For peace? Perhaps, eventually. But first, a revolution. Woe to you, to us, who sit too comfortably. For soon all thrones will be upturned, and those who served as footstools wear the crown. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Come and turn the whole world upside down. At the head of this revolution, we find an unlikely leader, a newborn baby. Not only is this a strange thing in itself, when we might expect to find a mighty warrior or clever politician, but this leader is strange even among other babies. For in him, divinity and humanity meet and commingle until it is impossible to say where one ends and the other begins. That the God of the universe opted to squeeze herself into an infant is the queerest thing I could possibly imagine. A transition that far surpasses any transition a transgender human has ever undertaken. God a genderless, bodiless being folded their infinity up into a tiny human infant and was subsequently assigned male at birth. To do this, God punched through that unbreakable boundary between creator and creation. As a child packs a snowball, tight and firm and cold seeping even through their mittens into palms so you once packed the universe into a ball scarce larger than the pomegranates that had yet to burst into being but still a greater miracle awaited a denser packing of infinity into small single atoms you you curled your endless being up into an embryo. Oh, you who grew the cosmos on a particle of breath. You packed yourself down into near nothingness and waited. You waited there in warm, dark roundness till the time had come for her to birth you wet and bloody into an uncaring world. Somehow, the being who could wear the galaxy like a bangle, nursed and grew and toddled, walked among us tiny beings of the frail bones. I'll never, ever, ever fathom it. Divinity, if I could hold you now as Mary held you, in my quaking arms, I think I might just know why you sustain each instant now.
and now, and now again, all of existence. Seed upon the palm, tucked lovingly into a rich, dark soil. Infant on the breast, fed lovingly from one's own aching flesh. But not yet. Not yet. Already, yes, and still not yet. With earth, I wait for you with bated breath. In the person of Jesus, God transitioned from genderless being into a human form. And again, I emphasize the inversion of expectation surrounding this birth. While this infant is the child of God, he is born in an obscure corner of an obscure town in an obscure country, a manger in Bethlehem of Judah, just one conquered nation, and a whole string of such nations that the Roman Empire towers over. And so the world reacts much the way you would expect it to react to this little newborn, whose parents are poor and unimportant, tired and dirty from a long journey, with nowhere to go. The world ignores him. His parents' attempts to visibilize him to earn him a place in a warm and comfortable building result only in his shunning into a stable. But the way in which God reacts to that same infant is with the deepest love and the most exuberant of fanfares. Z sends for the poorest of shepherds and the wisest and wealthiest of men that a neighboring region and religion could deliver. Z sends angels to croon this baby to sleep as his mother cradles him in her unwashed robes, and his adoptive father stands watch against the cold silhouette of night. And what more can be said from a queer angle about these two parents? I've skipped over that part of the story, so let's return to it now the story of Mary's transgressive yes that put her at risk of human defamation but divine exaltation. Before Mary sang her praise for the god of revolution, she was betrothed to a human man. In her time and location, marriage was much more an economic contract than any sort of romantic affair, and it tended to be a contract made between a woman's male guardian and the man that wished to take her into his own house as a wife. Joseph had entered into such a contract with whatever man served as Mary's guardian, probably her father, unless he was already dead, in which case perhaps a brother. The deal had already been struck, and that is why Mary was called betrothed. Not because Joseph had gotten down on one knee to ask her for her hand, but because he and her male guardian had agreed to it. We have no way of knowing how much Mary was consulted in this arrangement. Some women were asked their opinion about the man they would marry. See the story of Rebecca in Genesis 24 for a woman from an even more ancient culture who had a lot of say in picking her partner. Some women were not given much say at all. 
I'd like to hope that Mary's opinion had indeed been requested and heard out, that she said yes to Joseph. But either way, it is during this liminal time in Mary's life, her transition from life in her family's house to life in her husband's, that an angel came and changed everything. Gabriel appears, shows this nobody girl great reverence by calling her favored one of God, and Mary's whole world is rocked. She questions why an angel would call her such a thing. And when Gabriel explains God's hope to have a son with her, she has more questions. I've never had sex with a man, she says. But queerly enough, no man is required for this pregnancy, the angel assures her. Only Mary and the Holy Spirit are needed. Gabriel waits, and the air rings with anticipation. What will Mary's response be? Human men of Mary's day did not find it necessary to wait for a woman's yes to a marriage, but God is no man. God and her messenger Gabriel wait. Mary is not naive, as her wondering at the angel's reverence towards her and her question about how she could get pregnant without sex showcase. She knows what saying yes to pregnancy without the involvement of Joseph, her new husband, would mean for her future. He could divorce her before she'd even moved in. Her parents could kick her out before she'd even had the chance to move out. She could be shunned, shamed, left defenseless in a world in which women alone did not fare well. Mary knows, and still Mary says yes. With a tilt of her chin, a smile in her eyes, she responds, let it be done to me just as you say. And when her stomach begins to grow, Mary rejoices and sings her Magnificat in praise. She embraces impropriety with a song. The text out in scripture articulates the similarities between Mary's yes and the yes that trans people make when coming out as ourselves. This is a story of Mary consenting to enter into a disreputable condition, trusting that despite all appearances, she is entering into holiness. Like Mary, trans persons who come out risk a loss of reputation, a loss of safety, a loss of friends and family. But we do it with fierce joy, a joy that only grows as we become more and more ourselves. So let me read you one more poem, in which I imagine Mary as the mother not only of Jesus, but the patron mother of all transgender and non-binary and gender non-conforming persons, with whose experiences she resonates. You said yes to stoning. You said yes to your mother seizing you by the wrists, yelling into your face, demanding to know who did this to you, to your father weeping as you had never seen him weep, asking what he had done that you would turn out like this, that you would do this to him. Mary, teenage girl, 
with the unplumbed brown eyes, Mary, hailed full of grace by a heavenly being, you said yes to disgrace, to excommunication, to childhood friends abandoning you, to the isolation of no decent person daring to associate with you. And as your body transformed in wondrous ways, God's feet forming, kicking, making a rich round hill of your stomach, God dependent, sustained by nothing but a flimsy cord connecting them to you, God growing, becoming in the darkness of your womb, most did not celebrate with you. Your joy grew as your body changed, and their snide comments, their harsh stares could not pierce your euphoria, except for sometimes when they did. And for those sometimes, when the rejection was too much, when you crumpled at your bedside, weeping, shouting to God, begging to know why your neighbor's hearts are so hard, why your father cannot be moved to share your joy, my heart aches with its fullness of empathy for you and you for me. Empathy, sharp as a sword or maybe a needle, pricking, piercing, and stitching back into wholeness. So that when I came to you on my knees that night, sorrowful and scared and begging you to be my mother still, begging you not to disown your queer little knot girl, you bent down and picked me up, your soft, strong arms shielding me from the world's stairs. Your soft, calloused hands loosening the rope around my neck. And you whispered, soft and fierce, I am your mother. I am mother to all like you. And I will not let any who run to me be destroyed. Queer mother. A motherhood thicker than blood deeper than the waters of the womb, a relationship fashioned by a shared yes to disgrace, a fervent yes to the hard but healing path to holiness. Let me run always to you, for you give me the strength to shout with all my might, God, let it be done to me according to your word. Transform me. Mary's yes to being the mother of God's incoming revolution put her at risk of social ostracization, and for a moment, it almost looks like that is what will take place. Joseph is a good and upright man, Matthew 1 tells us so, and he has no desire to shame her, but still, she's broken her family's side of the contract and so he plans to break things off with her. Quietly, not publicly, but even so, he will be leaving her pregnant without a father to help raise the baby. 
people will talk. But Joseph, good and upright man, is open to receiving a new word from God. When an angel comes to him in the soft darkness of dreams to tell him not to abandon Mary and the Son of the Holy Spirit, Joseph listens. I like to imagine the reunion of Joseph and Mary. I imagine he comes with apologies, begging forgiveness for questioning her, for pushing her away, asking if she will still have him after all of it. I imagine him telling her he understands a little bit better what it means that she is pregnant with God's son, but would she be open to explaining it a little more to him? And she does, and he works hard to understand. And maybe he never fully gets it, because I know I don't fully get it, but it doesn't matter that he is a little confused. (laughs) After he reconciles himself to his new wife, Joseph is fully committed to her and to her child, to their child. I believe that if he didn't before, he now views Mary as his partner, their queer relationship one of true equality rather than the male-dominated marriages more common in their world. When they need shelter, Joseph knocks on every door. When Mary is in the throes of labor pains with no midwife to be found, he scrambles to gather water and clean straw. He kneels beside her. He helps her push. And the child she gives birth to becomes as much his son as hers. And if there's something the queer community knows well, it's adoptive parents, it's adoptive family. It's found family, more important than blood. Yes, Jesus is as much Joseph's son as Mary's. Joseph helps teach Jesus to walk. He guides him through the Torah. He teaches him his letters and, later, wood carving. Joseph slips out of the gospel stories fairly early on, and it is most likely he died long before Jesus, but for his entire life, Joseph is as devoted a father and a husband as you can find. And if you're not sure where I'm going with all of this, it's to establish Joseph as a role model, a patron saint for all cisgender straight folks out there who strive to be good allies for the trans persons in their lives. When Mary first came out to Joseph, he failed to embrace her the way she deserved. But he reflects, he thinks about it, and he allows God to speak a better way to him. And then he makes things right. He begs for forgiveness, and they reconcile. And from then on, he is wholeheartedly present for his queer little family. For any cishet listeners out there, follow Joseph's example. Even when you don't fully understand us, you can support us. Keep learning, make amends when you mess up, and stick with us through thick and thin, through all your confusion and your questions. Accepting us and supporting us wholeheartedly will bless you and transform your life 
just as Joseph's life was transformed and he gained a family in embracing Mary and Jesus just as they were. Together, we can help usher in God's revolution, a world of abundance for all creation. My friends, that's all I've got for you today and indeed for the end of this year. Oh, as 2020 comes to a close, I wish you all well. I wish you all hope and joy, whether you're celebrating any holidays or just celebrating surviving another calendar year. Hang in there. Go break some binaries to be a blessing to the world with your life. Thank you.